I'm up, right? I am. I'm up here, so I guess I am. If you have a Bible with you today, I'm going to preach to you from Luke uh, chapter 8, and I'm going to begin my reading in verse uh, 41, and then uh, I'll go back and make, we'll have prayer again, very quick prayer, ask God to bless the reading of his word, and uh, then um, I'll share my thoughts with you. Luke chapter 8 and verse 41, and behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come unto his house. And he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any came behind him and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her issue of blood staunched or stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee, and saith thou who touched me? And Jesus said, somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he, Jesus, said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Again, let's pray. Father, bless the preaching the reading of your word. We need your power, Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. The title of my message is Just Touch the Hem of His Garment. My goodness, we live in trying times. I was saved April 18th, 1974. I remember my pastor saying, Jesus is coming back. He'll be here any day. Look up. Keep thinking about him because it's all going to come to the end. Look around you and see what's going on in the world. And it tells us of the prophecies that have been fulfilled. He's coming back. And then as I began to read and study, I read about guys saying that in the 1800s and the 1700s and the 1600s and the Great Reformation in the 1300s and uh, that they were looking for as we should because we're instructed we need to look up. In other words, we need to keep our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's never been like this before in our country. And we say, wow, Lord, I want you to come back. But I want it real easy before you come back. You know, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to pay. What's going on in your life? Nobody knows about. What's there that you need to maybe just lean over and touch the hem of his garment? It doesn't take much to get in contact with God. We take for granted, I don't, well, let me rephrase that. I don't think we take for granted, but we pray all the time as we should. 
But, and we shouldn't be thinking about what's happening when we're praying. We should be praying. But do you realize when we say, dear Lord, we have instantly gone up into the glories of heaven. And it's like God did this and he does it for each one of us as he does it for everybody that comes up to him like that in prayer. And he goes, just a minute, Mike's praying. I mean, it's that important to him that I take my thoughts, I word my tongue with words that express something to God, a need or a praise that we want to give up to him. And so when we have needs, it's like the examples what were given in the Bible. This lady had a need. She touched the hem of his garment. The need was met. When you go to the Lord in prayer, it's the greatest, most powerful thing in the world there is today. In verse 43, it says, and let me go back to verse 41 because I like this. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet, and he besought him that he would come unto his house. For he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. The leader of the synagogue is a man named Jairus. He's a powerful man. He's about the most He's the most powerful Jewish representative that they have right there. Obviously, the Roman government on top of that and controlling everything they do. But this guy can say, stone him, and they would drag you out and stone you. He's a powerful man. His daughter is deathly ill, and he sends a servant to, uh, to Jesus to, to, to get a hold of Jesus and bring him to him. What I love, God's word is so cool. And what, what, this is one of those neat things. This starts out, and the story is about Jarius and what he needs in his life. And if you go on and read past where I stopped reading, you of course find out, as we know that, uh, uh, read the Bible a lot, that uh, uh, Jesus goes and he heals her. He raises his daughter from the dead when they all laughed and said, she's dead. You, you some kind of a crazy man? And he says, get up, and she gets up. That's the story. And in the middle of that story is this story. That's the Word of God. It's alive. It's a wonderful thing. Your Bible is the most precious thing you have. Back in the 80s, I know, (laughs) I was preaching in a church up in uh, Antioch, somewhere up there in Northern California. I can't remember. I had to fly into Oakland. And uh, it was a crazy time in the airline industry, and uh, they were having problems, and there was shortages, and uh, everything was all kind of goofed up. And what they literally did, when it come time to get on the airplane and, and leave to come back from Oakland, back down to Southern California, they literally opened the doors to the uh, uh, the uh, where you all gather there at the terminal. And we just kind of ran out there and get a seat. They weren't assigned seats. And I got on the airplane. I, I went over and I sat down against the window and I pulled the thing down, opened my Bible up, wasn't paying much attention to anybody else. And people started doing this. People were running down the aisles trying to get a seat. And they'd come to my row and they'd see me with the Bible and they'd just turn and go to the next row. 
And the next one come in. They did the same thing. And they see me with the Bible and they go on to the next role. And uh, a grandmother and a daughter with a little baby came over there and they saw my Bible and said, may we sit next to you? And I said, absolutely, come on in and sit down. And they were Christians, and they were comforted by the fact that I had an open Bible there. And those that, uh, there's power in the Word of God. If you're waiting somewhere, and uh, you have to have a Bible on you, and there's a bunch of people sitting around, there's no order to it, and they're just going to take somebody next, open your Bible up. They'll probably take you next. It is a great thing to own a Bible. I love all this modern technology that we have. I don't know a whole lot about it, but I know enough to write sermons. And I got uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books in my old library are all on my laptop. That is so cool. On your phone. But don't let all that stuff replace this. A written page, the Word of God. I'm concerned about that in our churches today. And uh, uh, anyway... That's a little rabbit I'm chasing for you. No elephants yet. We learned something. And a woman, verse 43, having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. Her resources were gone. She had nothing. Obviously, at one time, you know, if you think about this and look at it, she had gone to a lot of physicians. She or her family, most likely her and her family, very family-oriented society during uh, Bible days, had taken all the money that they could find and give it to some physician that might help her and heal her and stop this bleeding. Nothing worked. She had to feel terrible. She had to be anemic. She had to just barely be able to walk and move. Sometimes we want to see people get saved so bad. I'm as guilty as anybody. That maybe we rush through the gospel and and maybe we, you know, well, just pray. Just pray and, and Jesus will come into your heart. And that's true. But I think they need to understand that we are spiritually bankrupt just like this woman. We have no resources that reach into heaven. We have no spiritual offering to give to God. And we realize that we're so that broken and that far from God. His Holy Spirit will sweep down out of glory and touch your heart and you'll gladly open it up. And ask Jesus to come into your heart and be your Savior. If you're here today and you've never done that, we will give you an opportunity at the end of this message uh, to give your heart to the Lord. And you should. This is your moment in time. It's God-ordained for you to give your heart to Jesus Christ today. He's looking at you and putting everybody else on hold and saying, That's the person. And there can obviously more than one can be here at that time. Her problem was in that society, she was considered unclean and to be avoided at all times. Anyone she touched would be considered unclean 
also. And the tradition of the day was that her children and her husband, uh, her mother and father, if they're all alive, whoever it is, they're tight uh, in family, would have to walk with her and go through this throng of people and be saying, unclean, unclean, unclean. And she would pass so humiliated and humbled down as people looked at her, don't touch me, don't touch me, because they'd have to go to the priest and be purified and it's a long process and for weeks they couldn't go into the synagogue and this woman had a problem. She was unclean by her society standards. If your heart can't go out to this lady, Verse 44, she came and beheld him and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her issue of blood was stanched. All of a sudden, she had strength. She stood up and she looked around. She hadn't felt like this in years and years and years. And her health was put back into her body and God did something else. He touched her soul that day. And gave her new life. April 18, 1974, God touched my soul and gave me new life. An old fundamental Baptist preacher from Texas came and took a church in Fresno, California. My mother, my mother-in-law and father-in-law were godly people. And they got away from the Lord. And I came along. And they allowed me, a reprobate, to start dating their daughter. Her sisters knew who I was. One said, don't let him (laughs) around here, he's trouble. The other one was trouble, I guess. And she said, "Ah, that's okay. And so we started dating. And we got married. And we had two children. And uh, I love my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. They were godly people. But you know what happened? They got right with God. They got back in church. And now their heart's broken. They've got a son-in-law who's lost. They've got two grandbabies that are lost. Children, not babies. And they started praying. Only... I think I say 12 years, Shirley. I don't remember it was a long time. Her mom prayed for me there in church. My son had one of the first uh, ear, you know, where they put the plugs in, in the things in your ear so you can hear better, lets the drainage go out of them. Well, when my son had them, it was experimental. He was in the Valley Children's Hospital for three days. And they asked a couple of the men from the church to come and have prayer with me. Just hoping that maybe that would be the time. They came, knocked on my door, opened the door, and they said they were from the church. And uh, they'd come to pray. Uh, you understood my son was going in for uh, an operation. And I said, well, that's good. Pray. And I slammed the door and went back in the house. And then the Holy Spirit got a hold of me. I didn't know he had a hold of me. My mother-in-law was over. I was teasing her. She was a tremendous seamstress. I said, Sylvia, why don't you make your daughter a new dress? She said, I will make your daughter a new beautiful dress if you'll bring her to church this Easter Sunday, which was like a week away, and let her wear it to church. I don't know what I'm doing. I said, okay. 
I mean, that wasn't in my mind and it wasn't in my plans. It wasn't part of my thing. And when we went to church, they had give us a visitor slip. I showed them. I threw mine on the floor. My wife filled hers out. Thursday night. That, you remember back if you didn't go out on visitation on Thursday night, you were lost, Baptist. Anyway, that's a joke. Go out whatever night. Knock on the door. I sleep on the couch. I'm a carpenter at that time. I uh, open the door, and there stands Dr. Lloyd Ledbetter and one of the deacons named Jack Simpson. They came in. They sat down, and my uh, preacher looked around my den there to see what I was interested in and tried to strike up a conversation with me. And finally he said, Mike, you ever think about dying? I said, don't come in my house and preach at me. He smiled at me. He stuck his hand in this coat. I was reaching for a gun. He did. He pulled out a New Testament. And he said, Mike, I didn't come to preach at you. And he turned to Romans chapter 3 and he said, Mike, do you know that the Bible says here, all is sin, that means I'm a sinner and Jack here is a sinner and it means you're a sinner too. Did you know that? And he went through the plan of salvation. He just smiled at me, took this Bible out. Tell me there's power in the Bible. And that got down on my knees on one side of the coffee table. He got down on his knees on the other side and, he, and I was ready to pray and receive the Lord. I prayed, and I'm telling you, something happened. I Something good happened. Something miraculous happened. The power of the Holy Spirit of God. When I said, Lord, I believe, come into my heart, he did. And my life changed from that day forward. Now, I know if you're raised in church, and, and, and you're in all the Sunday school rooms and all that, and when you uh, have a moment where, uh, and you accept the Lord as your Savior, it might not be as radical. But if you're living a radical, wicked life, you're going to have a radical conversion. But it's no better or more important than somebody that's raised in ch- church, and they get saved in the junior church or the children's ministry or wherever or whatever. Uh, it's all the same. It's all good. Another rabbit. She came behind him. She came behind him. I believe she was so humbled. And he said, who touched me? He's going to take it from me. I think she did this. And touched the hem, the border, the bottom of his robe. And she was instantly healed. The other Gospels talk about it, and I'm going to just uh, read that uh, real quickly uh, to you. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse 34, it says, And when they were gone over, they came unto the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased, excuse me, and brought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Mark chapter 6 and verse 56. 
And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or countries, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were, but the border of his garment, and as many as touched him were made whole. I don't know if she knew that. Maybe she did. Maybe she knew if I could just touch him, I'll be good. Maybe she was so humble while she was, and she just fell down and, and leaned over and touched the hem of his garment. It's humility. Isaiah 57, 15 says this, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite, humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. It's a humility. It's a brokenness. It's a life-changing moment when you recognize Jesus. That's when he comes into your heart. And that's after you're saved. You know, we argue this all the time as pastors. It's one guy, one preacher will say in a meeting or with a bunch of preachers get together, this passage of Scripture only dealing with the saved. And the guy sitting over here says, no, you're all wrong. This passage that you're talking about, it only deals with Christians. I tell you, I'm in the middle, and I tell you it's God's Word, and I tell you it's powerful, and it's dealing with all of them. Whether you have a, you're saved and you need something in your life, touch the hem of His garment. If you don't know him as your Savior, you just touch the hem of his garment. You open your heart to him, and that's how we touch his garment today. And say, Lord, come in, I believe. She was healed. Verse 45. Well, I got to find Luke again. Oh, there he is. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue or miraculous power is gone out of me. Now, Jesus knew who it was. He knows everything. But for the uh, example of the disciples and us, as we read it 2,000 years later, he said, Somebody's touched me. I felt it come out of me and go into them. That's a Holy Spirit movement. You know, it wouldn't hurt us Baptists to get a little Bapticostal once in a while. It bothers me when we as fundamental Baptists are, are, are afraid to use uh, the power and the wholeness and the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God because there's others that misuse it. The Holy Spirit of God moving on your heart and your life is the most wonderful thing you can imagine and we never should shy away from it. Just touch the hem of his garment. And then verse 45, uh, again, Jesus knows. He said, somebody hath touched me. Imagine a great crowd of people are surrounding him, brushing up against him. I, and uh, did anybody that touched him uh, uh, get healed? You know, I, I, I don't know, but I'm going to give you my thinking on it. I wasn't there. You have to want to touch him, not just accidentally brush up against him. That's my thinking on it. 
It's not just those that brushed up against him. It was those like this woman. It was like the guy they let down on a pallet to rip the roof off of a house and dropped him in to get to to Jesus. He wants those that want him to touch him. Luke 15.10 says, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. How neat is that? When you repented or asked Jesus into your heart, when I did, they went, oh boy, that crazy Mike got saved. I had a couple guardian angels that said, I'm sure glad. I'm worn out. Anyway, won't get into all of that. Some of you know what I'm talking about. This humility is important. Let me give you an illustration about humility or the lack of it and what brings it, okay? Little illustrations help us, you know, go along and get a point. John Killinger tells about the manager of a minor league baseball team who was so disgusted with his center fielder's performance that he ordered him into the dugout and assumed the position himself. The first ball that came into center field took a bad hop and hit the manager in the mouth. The next one was a high fly ball, which he lost in the glare of the sun until it bounced off his forehead. The third was a hard line drive that he charged with outstretched arms. Unfortunately, it flew between his hands and smacked his eye. Furious, he ran back into the dugout, grabbed the center fielder by the uniform and shouted, you idiot, you've got center field so messed up that I can't even do anything with it. That is not humility. But God humbled him, didn't he? And God will humble us when we need it. There's no uh, doubt uh, about it. Well, you can't hide when Jesus is touched. You look at verse 47. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately I've been blessed my wife gone to some of these things to go all over the world preaching almost all of our preaching has been in jungle kind of settings and villages and things and I ended up in the 90s going to Cuba And we were there for a 15-day trip, seven preachers, and a side note, okay? Uh, We were there, we did a, I always tell everybody, we did a 15-day revival in five days. Because after five days of going in these churches and hundreds of people coming to the Lord, 300 saved, they came and arrested us and threw us in jail. I had a friend named Rick DeMotta, pastors in Helena, Montana, and with meetings they'd say, hey Mike, tell us a little bit about Cuba. What happened over there? And I'd say, well, I was uh, arrested uh, for preaching the gospel. Rick DeMotta over here was with me. He was arrested for being drunk in Cuba. Anyway, and everybody would laugh. Oh, he, we all went to jail. And they said, uh, there's a plane leaving Wednesday, you get on it and leave Cuba. And we said, well, what if we can't get on it? They're always full. And by the, then you couldn't fly directly to Cuba from Miami. 
And uh, you had to go to the Bahamas and from the Bahamas and bounce on in and all that. And the guy said, if you don't on that airplane, you will never leave Cuba. You will never leave this jail again. I told those guys, if I have to hold on to the air wing and get on the outside of that airplane, wrap my feet around the landing gear, I'm going. We would give an invitation in a church. It would be full all the way from here all the way to the door. And there'd be 20 people outside the door. And there'd be four or five outside of every one of these windows listening. And when we gave an invitation, we couldn't give the old style invitation where you asked people to come and kneel at an altar. And they had nothing wrong with that. You want the power of God, you can get it right here. They'd all come forward. So we'd ask them to stand. And, we, and the, the Cuban pastors would take over and say, why'd you stand in Spanish? I didn't know what they were saying. And he'd say, I want Jesus as my Savior. And why do you want Jesus as your Savior? Because I'm, and I mean, they would drill them like a DI. And they would finally pray. And when they did, there were uh, communist spies in all the, all the services their names were written down. The rice coupons were taken from them. And they knew their little babies are going to have bloated bellies because they asked Jesus to come into their heart. Just touch the hem of his garment. They didn't care. They wanted Jesus. I fear we've had it so good so long. I could tell you about the miracle things that God did over there. It's just crazy beyond belief. I think some preachers didn't believe me when I told them some of the things that uh, were happening. And uh, you just can't hide when Jesus touched you. They would stand up knowing they were going to lose what little rice coupons they had. She came trembling and falling down before him. One of my favorite scriptures that I have to read about 20 times a day. I pray a thousand times a day. I never exaggerate. But anyway, that's a joke. In 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 5, he says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. One day I was preaching to a bunch of teens at a youth camp, and I said, submit there. In the Greek, it means yield. I said, any of you 16? My hands went up. I said, any of you just get your driver's license? My hands went up. I said, what's a yield sign say? And I pointed at one of them. He said, I don't know. It means stop your car and let the other car come through, right? It means stop and let the other person have his way. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of Yea, all of you be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he may exalt you in due time. I'm getting to the end here. Let me read you one more. Mark Titt of Webster, New York, describes an experience from his college days. An old man showed up at the back door of the house we were renting. Opening the door a few inches, we saw his eyes were glassy and his furrowed face glistened with silver stubble. 
He clutched a wicker basket holding a few unappealing vegetables. He bid us good morning and offered his produce for sale. We were uneasy enough that we made a quick purchase to alleviate both our conscience and our fear. To our charge, and he returned the next week, introducing himself as Mr. Roth, the man who lived in the shack down the road. As our fears subsided, we got close enough to realize it wasn't alcohol but cataracts that marbleized his eyes. On subsequent visits, he would shuffle in wearing two mismatched right shoes and pull out a harmonica. With glazed eyes set on future glory, he'd puff out old gospel tunes between conversations about vegetables and Jesus. On one visit, he, ex- uh, on one visit, he exclaimed, The Lord is so good. I came out of my shack this morning and found a bag full of shoes and clothing on my porch. That's wonderful, Mr. Roth, we said. We're happy for you. You know what's even more wonderful, he asked? Just yesterday I met some people that could really use them. That's humility. That's Bible humility. It isn't paper mache stuff that we just say, oh yeah, I'm humble for a little bit. And I fight it as much as anybody does. We have so much. We have to realize that we need to be humble. We need to come and be willing to fall down and touch the hem of his garment, not just for salvation, but for whatever it is in your life, whatever it is in your relationships, whatever you're struggling with, you come and touch him with a humble heart. You'll get a victory. He'll send the Holy Spirit to heal whatever it is that you need. And then in verse 48, finally, get back there. And he said unto her, daughter, I love that. Is that good? Not woman from down the street that had the issue of blood who I've touched and healed. Daughter. Be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God which passes all understanding will be with you. Someone said peace is when everybody stands around reloading. You cannot have peace with man until you've had peace with God. And he said, go in peace. Boy, <laughs> she said, don't, don't touch me. Told her relative, it's okay. Stand back. I'm walking down the street. I've been healed. I'm going. And the people probably were astonished. I'm sure many of them didn't care. They were getting back away from her. But she walked for the first time in 12 years with her head held high in the Lord. Not a haughty, proud anti-Proverbs thing, but in the power of God himself. Be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. I don't know if you normally, good, the musicians are going to come and help me. Thank you. But if you're here and you're not sure you're saved, One of my favorite preachers from here in Southern California's name was E.V. Hill. 
And he always said this, are you sure you're sure? Well, I think I am. I think maybe when I was a kid, maybe once I prayed, maybe. Why don't you make sure today? If you're here and you've never trusted the Lord as your personal Savior, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Believe in your heart. Touch the hem of his garment. If you're here today and you've never prayed the sinner's prayer and asked Christ to come into your heart, God loves you and wants you. He's not made a mistake. You're here for that today. Why don't you make eye contact? Just look up. Everybody else is praying. Heads are bowed. And you just make eye contact with me. And if you're here and you're making eye contact with me, you just say, Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died upon the cross for my sins. I now ask him into my heart to be my Savior. If you've done that, at the end of the service, would you come to me or one of the uh, leaders or greeters? There'll be uh, greeters in the back. Uh, uh, and I don't know you. This might just be the normal Sunday crowd where there's no visitors. But I don't know that. And so it's my responsibility to think that none of you are saved. And then if you're here, you need to touch the hem of his garment. Why don't you lift your hand up and say, I've got a need, preacher. I want to touch the hem of his garment today. And then just, yes, I see hand, I see hand, I see another hand. Thank you for being willing to do that. Thank you. Anybody else say, i got a need. There's an issue I've got. There's a problem I have. There's a health issue I have. There's a, a, a relationship problem. Just say, Lord, I can't carry it anymore. I don't want to carry it anymore. I give it to you. I'm touching the hem of your garment today. Jesus, take this problem and heal it in Jesus' name. Let's all stand very reverently. Maybe, do we have a song we can sing or something? Good. If, uh, they'll lead us in a song and they'll, they'll just take over and dismiss us and, and all that stuff. God bless you, all of you.